following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. You're listening to 2XX Community Radio 98.3 FM. This is Behind the Lines and today we're talking with Natalie Keane, now based in southern Tasmania, primarily to work for the forests, but past long-time resident of Canberra where she studied Chinese medicine, Chinese language and anthropology, becoming a practitioner in those fields. Also a dedicated member of the ANU Food Co-op and local activist. Good morning, Natalie. Hi, how are you going? I'm well, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. So where are you living now? Are you in the forest or in the city? In and out of the forest. We have a blockade down in uh, southern Tasmania in the upper Florentine Valley. And I go there often and when I'm not there, I'm at my house which is out in the bush uh, southwest of Hobart. Wow. So is that nice to live in the forest? It's fantastic. It's We're pretty lucky to, to live in paradise and that inspires us to try and save it. Mm. Pretty cold though. <laughs> Right now, it's freezing <laughs> and wet and muddy mm. and those guys are tough. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So you were up a tree sit for a long time, weren't you? Oh, I only do a few days up a tree every now and then. But at the blockade, we have um, we currently have five tree sits and every night we have to staff them until um, the afternoon the next day. Wow. Yeah. Do you like being up there? It's amazing. It's so high. Our tree sits uh, in the Upper Florentine range from between 35 metres off the ground and um, 50 metres off the ground. So it's pretty high. It's hard work to get up there, but then when you're up there, you've got, you know, you're on top of the world. It's fantastic. And are you by yourself or without? Yeah, yeah, usually. Wow, you feel like a little possum. It's great. And the birds fly underneath you. It's beautiful. <laughs> so um, what's the feeling like in the camps there? Over summer, it's um, it was... Fantastic, vibrant energy, lots of people coming in and out. At some points we had up to 40 people. Um, and so we could do lots of things in camp in terms of um, building it to make it better, make it more solid, and also be able to have a big group of people, say, going to the sticks or other parts of the Florentine Valley to do actions where we could blockade for a day and stop work. Where, where we are in the upper Florentine Valley is stopping a road um, that's going to be 10.5 k's long and will open up 10 coops, so about 250 hectares of, of untouched old growth forest. At the moment, it's getting, it's much less tense than in summer because we're, in summer we're on red alert. Now we're on like a, a vague peachy orange kind of alert. So we still have to get up every morning, but because it's really cold and there's only a few people there, the vibe's pretty up and down in terms of, you know, motivation to do things and also what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Is it still sort of um, a frightening uh, thought that, you know, the police might come along and hassle you? Um, depending. Out at camp, when the police come, they're nice. They're local police. They're cool. Uh, when we're doing actions in the sticks, uh, they get police from a little bit further away and some of them can be quite violent. And I think last year we instigated two internal investigations against one police officer uh, resulting in him not being allowed in the forest alone. And then this year he sexually assaulted a male um, activist while he was locked onto a forestry roading um, machine in the Styx Valley. And there's a, another internal in investigation against the same guy. He's a nasty man from the Northern Territory, actually. Um, so I pity those guys and what he did up there because what he's doing to us is pretty bad. But he hasn't been out in the forest for a while. I think he's in a lot of trouble, and so he should be. 
Yeah. But the other cop's pretty good. Well, that's good to hear. Mm. <laughs> um, so I've heard that there's a, there is, though, on the other hand, a bit of a war between locals who have bumper stickers on their cars saying, you know, I don't know exactly what they say, but dump the feral well, they're, um, it's it's funny, they're of the same format of the Greens, triangular, you know, no war stickers or save Tassie Forest, you know, those green triangular stickers that the Greens have. Um, yeah, there's a, I think it's mostly Timber Communities Australia and some other organisations down there and maybe even some individuals who have, um, you know, uh, sponsored stickers that are, are then anti-Greens but of the same format. And um, there's a lot of go the pulp mill or no pulp mill yeah, there's, a, there's a, a very definite, very clear war of bumper stickers down there. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's confined to the bumper stickers then, is it? Um, largely, yeah. Is it scary walking into town to get stuff? Not scary, but you don't expect a warm welcome in a lot of towns. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about local Aboriginal support? Is there much of that? Well, I can tell you that a lot of... Um, a lot of Indigenous people down there have been for many years really concentrating on trying to establish their own identity. The fact that they are Tasmanian Aboriginals is um, is extremely important, of course, to to us and to them, their identity, and to like Australian-wide Indigenous communities. So they've been largely outside doing their own thing, outside of the environment debate down there. Now they're starting to wade into it, and they're wading in with heavy hearts because forestry's... Um, encroaching on a lot of sacred sites. The Upper Florentine Valley where we are blockading has six uh, sites of human um, occupation, um, prehistoric, so indigenous human occupation, and two sites um, where human remains have been found um, in caves in the Upper Florentine. In the Upper Florentine Valley, however, there is no um, support from um, Aboriginal Tasmanians. There's no local community um, in that area of southern Tasmania. More down south, though, there is caves where um, the local Tasmanian activists, um, local Aboriginal activists are actively um, engaging with forestry about um, forestry's proposal to log those sites. So um, you've come to Canberra for the Giant Garrett protest. I came to see my friends and Giant <laughs> Garrett was just a, a, a wonderful sort of side thought, yeah. <laughs> and that was an international day of action, well, we tried to make it an international day of action, but we didn't have um, response from um, any of our mates overseas apart from our good mate Annie in Ireland who lived in the world for uh, 16 months and then stayed in southern Tasmania until um, just recently. She went home about three months ago. So she did a giant garret in Dublin. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the only giant garret oh, okay. overseas. <laughs> Within Australia, it was a pretty successful thing. Within Australia, it was fantastically successful. We had people in Darwin, Newcastle, Sydney, Brisbane, um, Melbourne, Canberra, of course, and Hobart. All with four-metre-high giant garrets. Yep. <laughs> so what's um, some future directions that the campaign might take? Well, at the moment, there's, um, from my perspective, um, I'm, I want to do more work with... Um, with international stuff, uh, well, particularly Japan, because that's where our wood chips are going. If guns get their pulp mill up and running, that's where the pulp will be going to big paper companies like Nippon and Oji in Japan that make um, a lot of paper and sell it to other companies like Xerox and Canon and all those other small paper things. Recently in Japan, there's a huge scandal with um, Nippon 
they were claiming that their paper was recycled and um, there was a lot of companies um, buying specifically their paper because it was recycled and it wasn't Tasmanian native forest and it turned out it was all a farce and lies and a lot of people um, actually quit over that and um, huge scandal in Japan and so yeah all these other companies Canon, Xerox, Mitsubishi and other paper companies that were buying Nippon paper really um, suffered a lot of shame and in, in Japanese society that's quite huge and so I think now is a, a really good time to sort of tackle that what's going on in Japan is is very relevant to um, to what's going on in Tassie I mean they use that Nippon uses 10% uh, Tassie old growth in their in their paper so yeah across the board yeah mm. is it mainly uh, sort of Xeroxing paper or is wh where does the toilet paper come into it you know I don't know I do know that Nippon and Oji use um, Tassie native forest in their tissue paper and toilet paper but I'm not sure in Australia what sort of if there is any companies like say Kleenex was using you know stuff from the Otways back in the day and Gippsland but I'm not sure what's going on with Tassie um, Tassie old growth and Tassie wood chips for for Australian toilet paper mm. and I read recently some statistics about how America uses something like 50% more toilet paper on average than the European bottom does right mm. two squares guys and fold <laughs> fold again <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know anything about that um, recent Wylankta court case? Only that um, last, not the summer, not this summer just gone, but the summer before last, so 2006, 2007, Bob Brown had a fantastic win against um, uh, Forestry Tasmania and, and, and the government whereby he was questioning the legality of, of uh, logging in a section of the Wylankta forest uh, regarding... Um, threatened species and what is it the threatened species in biodiversity and um, in response to that Tasmanian government changed the law to allow logging to occur in forests where there is threatened species overriding federal legislation it appeared and Bob Brown appealed that decision and um, logging goes on in, La in Wailanka regardless and Bob Brown's appeal was knocked back just two weeks ago and so it seems like that court case is not going to go any further, unfortunately, and logging continues across across Tasmania where um, threatened species reside. Yeah. The other sort of legally question I wanted to ask you is about this uh, pipeline mm. that's going through. So what about the compulsory acquisition of private land? Debacle? Right. Yeah, it is a bit of a debacle, but it's kind of kind of good in, in, in some respects. So I'll explain. Um, guns you know, have a proposed pulp mill, a huge pulp mill, and they fast-tracked legislation through the Tasmanian state government last year to um, to allow that um, development to go ahead um, with conditions that um, Malcolm Turnbull, um, last year when he was um, Minister for the Environment, applied to it um, conditionally, um, giving approval to the pulp mill. Now, one thing they forgot was that there was going to be, uh, that there has to be a pipeline, one going from a water source to the pulp mill, which will use huge amounts of water, and one going out of the pulp mill into Bass Strait, where the effluent will flow out from the pulp mill. They forgot all of this somehow, which is fabulous, because everybody whose land that has to go through don't want the pulp mill, and they don't want to give that land to guns. They will not sell it to guns. So Lennon, who's the former Premier of Tasmania, last week we got a new Premier, which is fantastic. Big Red's gone. Lennon made a, a, 
a suggestion that um, the state government would pay for the pipeline, $6 million pipeline, um, to get the water into, into the pulp mill. And it would therefore, because it's state infrastructure, be under the legislation like that that um, requires people to just give that land up to, to the state. So that's compulsory acquisition. Because, because it's state government infrastructure, they have the right to just say, no, the pipeline's going where your property is. So that's that's quite full on. That's quite confronting to a, the whole of Tasmania. And also with the effluent pipe, it would mean that guns would be um, exempt from... Uh, pollution laws and the state would just cover what was going out of the pole mill so they wouldn't have to be responsible for their effluent at all which is really scary we have a new premier and he has uh it was it was the first questions asked of him what are you doing about the pipeline he has said twice that no they won't do it and also retracted that statement twice so we really have no idea where he's going to stand he has said clearly and states that this is the case even though he's you know, retracted a lot of his other statements about the pipeline. He said that there will be no more public money going into the guns pulp mill unless it benefits Tasmanian communities in some other way. So he could totally get around saying, no, he's not giving them the pipeline if it benefits um, some sort of community along the way, farmers with irrigation or other community with, you know, water. And he could still push through Parliament, the, the pipeline being part of state infrastructure. Which is, which is quite scary and, and I have been out of the loop for the last two days. Uh, Bartlett came in last Tuesday or Wednesday, I can't remember. And so I have been out of the loop for a few days and I'm not sure where it's going right now. But it's totally hot topic right now down in Tassie. So is that something that's ever happened before, that compulsory acquisition of land? You know, I don't know. Do you know? I thought I read it hadn't, but right. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very very clearly a, a scary thought for a lot of people in Tasmania that they can do this. Yeah. What about this forest embassy that you're going to set up in Sydney? Is that something that's still happening? Right, it is. We hope to set up um, a bit of a an embassy, as, as is the style of the times, I suppose, <laughs> out the front of Garrett's office in Sydney, where we would just like to bring to the attention of his electorate um, what Garrett is not doing about saving Tasmania's forests. Um, We've also requested a meeting we get to hear about um, about that and hopefully we get one because we've got a lot of things to talk to him about. We really do. <laughs> he's um, he's really let us down in terms of... He was he was at Franklin Blockade, you know, years and years ago, 25 years ago in July, actually, and he knows Tassie's forests. He knows how precious they are. He knows how spectacular they are, but he also knows how important globally they are as they're, they're as, as a unique ecosystem but as massive carbon sinks which when we're facing dangerous climate change is is probably gonna gonna help us out a lot if we save these forests well definitely but he's not doing anything not a thing so can people get involved with you to go up to sit outside his office they can they can um, they can contact um, possibly email address camp Florentine email so that's camp Florentine C-A-M-P-F-L-O-R-E-N-T-I-N-E at gmail.com and we'll tell you all the details. Otherwise, just show up. We'll be there um, from the 3rd. And we're going to have things like live music and, of course, speeches and rallies perhaps and lots of banners and just sort of hanging out and talking to people around the, around the electorate and telling them what the go is. 
So that's the 3rd of July. Yeah. That email will also help to direct you to letters or other things you can do? Letters and other things that you can do, you can check out um, the Hewan Valley Environment Centre's website. And even if you just want to see pictures of, of our actions, of the forests, and hear updates of what we're doing, check out www.hewan.org. So Hewan is spelled H-U-O-N, www.hewan.org. It's a fantastic website that's regularly updated and has um, actions that you can do in terms of letter writing and stuff to different politicians who you can call and also how you can come and visit Tasmania. I think that's the most important thing that you guys can do right now. <laughs> there have been lots of bands and sort of celebrities going down, haven't there? Well, over summer, at one point we... Um, we had in camp at our blockade in Upper Florentine, I think about 300 people because we had a festival for the weekend, a festival organised by Terraphonics um, music sort of sound system crew down in southern Tasmania. That went for three days. It had an awesome kids space, dry space, and many, many bands came down and played. Um, over the summer, we've also had uh, Milk, a band from Melbourne, and a couple of other bands that are new on the scene and, and I'm not really up to it so I don't even know their name. But we also had a couple of weeks ago the um, head of Quicksilver Asia Pacific, which, you know, the surfing brand Quicksilver, and he came out, fell in love with the camp, we showed him around and he has um, shown his support by giving us loads and loads of awesome warm snow gear for the camp. Yeah, it's great. Well, thanks for doing what you do and um, for talking to us today. All the best for the future. Thanks very much. You too. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.